a listener production. Okay, are you recording? And here it is. Here it is. Welcome along to episode 143 of the Howie Games, part A, continuing with our Ashes extravaganza featuring my sporting hero from when I was a little fella playing backyard cricket in Bull Creek, Perth, right up to today where I am privileged enough to make his coffee at Fox Cricket, Alan Border. Here's Border on 99. Got it. Got it. And a great hundred it is too. Alan Border has played two or three remarkable innings this year, but nothing to match today's effort. Now, my very, very first cricket memory was watching AB and Jeff Thompson try and ultimately fail, which broke my heart, to steal the 1982-83 MCG test off England. I can remember it like it was yesterday, on the couch at Ron and Lynn Connor's house, family friends. The way I remember it, Tomo edged both of them to Tavare, who popped it up in the air, Miller swooped around, took the catch, and the way I remember it, Channel 9 was in an ad break for P&O Cruises. And when they came back, England was celebrating... AB was trudging off, but I'd found my hero. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know. Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. At some stage, as a result of this test match, I started an AB scrapbook which my beautiful, beautiful mum, Jeannie Pop, hello Jeannie, kept for me when I left home and presented back to me much to my delight a while back. So this is an episode where we go through the life and times of AB, from a kid that was more interested in hanging out at the beach than fully committing to cricket, to a test debut, being thrust into the captaincy, getting constantly, constantly beaten, remember those days, then stunning everyone by winning the 87 World Cup, demolishing England, how good, in the 1989 Ashes, and setting the platform for a period of dominance by Australian cricket. Now, the scrapbook, thanks again, Jeannie, it brings back the words of the day, the photos that AB hadn't seen for 30 years, the articles he'd never actually even read, quotes he'd never heard before. It's pretty cool. Now, just before we get going, I'm going to now play you some audio from a podcast called The Scorecard, hosted by a very good man by the name of Liam Flanagan. If you like sport, you should check it out. The Scorecard, Liam Flanagan. So you're about to hear a story originally written by renowned cricket journalist Robert Crash Craddock. Liam tells this story about AB, Ian Botham and a statue, a story that gave me a pretty big lift. Finally today, I want to be a little self-indulgent and show you the power of podcasts. When he took over Australian cricket and he had to crack the whip, no wives and he got the nickname Captain Grumpy, but he, he went through it all. And Australian cricket, you know, you look at the side that he developed and the way that the captains after that inherited and the, you know, the great side, but it all started with Alan Border. That is Sir Ian Botham speaking on the Howie Games podcast, a cracking show that if you enjoy the scorecard, you'll almost certainly love the Howie Games. You can check it out on the listener app. But it's that very interview and more specifically this next comment that has started a movement. You know, I've always said there should be a bronze statue of AB outside every cricket ground in Australia. And that comment from the man they call Beefy about the man they call Captain Grumpy planted a seed in the mind of former Queensland Australian of the Year, David Conry, who, while listening to the interview, thought... Conry explained to the Australian's Robert Craddock that after hearing the interview, 
He agreed that Border deserved at least one statue, so he made some phone calls that resulted in an organising committee being formed. It included Botham, Shane Warne, and Powderfinger frontman Bernard Fanning. And after raising $150,000 and gaining the necessary approvals from the Queensland government, an idea that was born on a humble podcast will ultimately become a reality. Now, hang on, let's not get confused here. AB now has a statue because he is a legend of Australian sport, and it's crazy, really, when you think about it, that he hasn't had one to this point. But to think the idea of the statue came about due to a connection to this podcast, oh, that is very, very cool. AB, being Captain Humble, failed to mention the statue to me in the episode that we recorded a while back before the story had broken. When I asked him about it after the story broke, his response... I was too embarrassed to bring it up. I didn't want to talk about a statue about myself. As I said, AB being Captain Humble. Enjoy the story of a man that has achieved it all, yet speaks with the humility of a man that has achieved nothing. My hero, Alan Border. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery what is to be revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, an absolute legend of Australian cricket, a man that I've idolised since I was five years old, I reckon, <laughs> so it's a thrill to have him on the show. He knows this. Alan Border, welcome to the Howie Games in Queensland. How are you, great man? No, look, uh, all, all is well up here in the Sunshine State, but um, no, it's all, all going well, mate, and uh, good to be on your program finally. I used, well, to rank, you, I used to rank number one, now I'm 139. <laughs> What's going on? Well, you did email me and I said to you, I needed to get that other 139. I needed to get the Lewis Hamiltons and the Ian Bothams and the Adam Gilchrists and the Boris Beckers so I could convince you to come on because I know the status <laughs> on what you sit in the sporting hierarchy in this country, my man. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll accept that one. <laughs> I, I, um, as you know, we've had the pleasure of working together over the years at, at Fox Cricket but um, and I've had this discussion with you numerous times that as a young fellow growing up, you were my sporting hero. Um, we're going to get through this because I've got my research details <laughs> here. I've got Alan Border, Beyond 10,000, one yep. of your fantastic books. It's all there. And I know, you, I know you've seen this before. I've got my Alan Border scrapbook that I started making as a five-year-old. Yep. So this is, this, this is a great treat for me, mate, because like any of us, you grow up in Australia and you have heroes if you're into sport or whatever you're into. And as a young bloke, all I wanted to do was watch Alan Border bat and watch Alan Border make runs. If you made runs, I was happy. If you didn't make runs, I was sad. Who was that for you when you were growing up, AB? Who was your first sporting hero? Yeah, look, um, believe it or not, uh, Gary Sobers. Um, I can remember seeing, uh, it was an old Super 8 movie, uh, <laughs> yeah, like going back uh, a million years, um, watching the tied test match of 61. So I was probably, it was just after that, so I was probably, you know, seven, eight sort of uh, age when I saw this uh, movie, the, the Mossman Career Club where I played had sort of movie nights type thing and they played this tight test match. A bad fielding error and Australia needs three ones to win. Meckett connects and the ball flies deep in the outfield. They complete a second run. The scores are level. The third run will win the match. Ralph makes a great effort, but the bails go off and he's run out. The scores are tied. One wicket left. Ball bowling the seventh ball to climb. Beckett is run out and the match has finished in a tie. The first in test history and a fitting end to one of the greatest test matches of all. 
sobers, you know, just caught my eye straight away. Um, you know, bat, bowl, field, do, you know, do mm. a bit of everything. Um, fast bowling, spin bowling, you know, it, it was just uh, the, the total package, you know, and I suppose at the time I didn't realise what a great cricketer he actually was and, 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 and became. Sobers 100, a century which was rated by ABC commentator Johnny Moyes as one of the best he has seen in 50 years of cricket. Climb the bowler now to feel the might of this 24-year-old batsman who has just scored his 10th in test cricket. Yeah, he was, he was a good one to start um, following very closely and oh, different uh, sort of influences over the time, but he was the first one I, I reckon that um, I sort of really piqued my interest into, you know, really getting stuck into this uh, game of cricket. And have you had the pleasure of meeting him, AB? I have. Um, round, round the cricket a little bit, but uh, more so on the golf course. Uh, he's a hell of a uh, keen golfer and a very good golfer, a lot better than I am, unfortunately. Um but uh, yeah, and uh, just a just a great bloke, great great man to be around. Uh, you know, million stories about the game. You know, back in the days where it was um, basically every night you just uh, hop into the beers and having a good time and a chat with the opposition, <laughs> and um, there wasn't the pressures of uh, earning all that money. <laughs> and can you remember? Because I'll explain to you when I first met you as a young man. But there's something special about meeting your hero and there's 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 theories never meet your hero because you'll be let down which was the complete opposite when I've been lucky enough to deal with you but did you have any of that when you met him you'd obviously had an amazing cricket career under your belt at that stage so it's a bit different but did you take yourself back to when you were watching that movie at Mossman and think wow I'm I'm meeting Sir Gary Sobers or I'm playing golf with this bloke that that really started me off in the world of cricket yeah um no it didn't let it wasn't let down at all I mean, it was just just meeting him was, uh, you know, like you're just eyes wide open. You're just sitting there and, and not saying a word, just listening. Huh. Uh, it was that sort of experience. And, and I suppose like most Australian cricketers, I mean, we just idolised Bradman as well. And that, that was a similar sort of um, situation when you first meet him. It's just... Um, Where was that, Abe? Where did you first meet the Don? It, it was when I, when I first met him, oh, because uh, he used to go to the cricket a fair bit. So every time he played in, in Adelaide... Uh, the great man would be, you know, sitting there and, and he was there most days, uh, particularly of test, test matches, and occasionally he'd come into the rooms. Um, I can't remember when I first met him, but um, I did – my first game as captain of Australia was in Adelaide Oval against the West Indies. And we had this tradition of inviting a, a special guest to our team dinner um, so the captain, you know, said a few words of welcome, blah, 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 and, and you had this uh, special guest and, and the special guest was just there just to have dinner and uh, the boys would ask a few questions and things like that. So, of course, um, you know, huh. tumultuous times really, wasn't it, uh, with Kim Hughes' yes. resignation and I take over the, the reins and sort of um, the, the guest we have for my first test match as captain is Sir Donald Bradman. So oh. I'm absolutely parking tigers, you know, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> very, very nervous about, you know, like, you know, talking to the players, let alone having, you know, the great man there sort of uh, analysing and just listening in. So, yeah, that was a you know, a great experience. But um, he, he was fantastic, uh, I've got to say. Um, you know, very, very modern in his thinking. You know, he, did, he wasn't sort of harping back on, you know, the good old days and, well, you reckon you're facing fast bowling now. You should have, you know, faced Harold Love and his bowling body line, you know, that type of thing. Uh, he understood the difficulties we were going through facing the West Indies, so he had a really good mindset about uh, all that. Um, and it was just a great night, and, and the boys just 
hammering him with questions about you know, body line and. And was he open to answering them? Maybe. Oh yeah, he was. He was fantastic. And um, yeah, I, I remember Johnny Dyson. Johnny Dyson was like one of these guys who used to sleep with his bat. You know, he was just right. every, everything was around the cricket bat, the cricket bat, and um, Brattles. Um, he asked Sir Donald, you know, how long he'd use a bat for, you know, and um, and uh, he'd sort of say, oh, a couple of innings, you know, like because uh, I mean he'd getting he'd be getting two hundreds and three hundreds and you know, getting. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor said, oh, yes, yeah, so I used to use mine for about over twelve months. He said, oh, well, you've got to score a few more runs, son. Yeah. <laughs> well, AB. As I said, I'm going to use various research pieces of uh, material. I go to Beyond 10,000, Alan Border, and who is written the quote in the front? I was pleased to learn that Alan Border has now become the highest scorer in Test cricket. This is written by Sir Donald Bradman. Not only does this recognise his skill as a batsman, it is also a tribute to his physical fitness and tough character because it has taken many years of toil to reach such a milestone. I join in congratulating him on his feet. Adelaide, February 26, 1993. So we're talking about meeting these guys, but then to have Sir Donald Bradman write quotes in the front of your book, um, I, I presume that's pretty humbling, Abe. Yeah, look, uh, it's it's special for him to do that and, and take the time to sort of, um, you know, pen it and, and, and write it out for you. You know, you make those requests of people sometimes, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he was only only too willing to, to help out. I, I, I suppose... He, he understood, you know, that um, everyone's going to sort of idolise him. I mean, as an Australian yeah. cricketer, I mean, he, he sort of accepted that what he'd achieved was pretty pretty incredible. Um, he, was, he was reasonably humble sort of bloke himself, but, I mean, just this freakish, um, you know, level of performance that no-one's really come near at all, hasn't it? I mean, if, you know, no. a great player now, if you're average 60, you, you are a seriously great player. Bradman averages 99. Like, come on. Like... Yeah, so look, it's just um, special sort of, you know, running into these people that you, you have idolised. So Bradman, obviously, but, you know, Gary Sobers is the one that I initially really sort of um, cotton on to. And then obviously Bradman, as you start reading about the game as, as a young fellow, you start to think, you know, hold the phone, this guy's um, <laughs> pretty special, isn't he? Like Sir Donald Bradman. And you don't, like having played the game now, you like the average of 99 when you're young, I didn't quite, I didn't quite no. gel as to how special that is. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous numbers. Um, so I, I, you're a very humble man. So it'd be interesting to see how you go with this, AB, when I start bringing up things from your career. But as far as having idols, so you, you've written various books, but your first book came out 1987, Alan Border, the autobiography. I had, I couldn't find it around the traps. It's it's sell out, sell out. Well, it was sold out, correct. I'm sure you've got a copy of it back there. It had partly grey on it and there was you playing a, a dashing shot. And the first time I had the pleasure of meeting you was at a Collins bookstore in Melbourne. <laughs> so if it came out in 87, I'm, you know, I'm 11, 12 years old right. and I can remember lining up round the block for this opportunity <laughs> to get the book signed by Alan Border and you get all the way in there. And I can remember being so nervous, and I can remember it clearly. Ab, it's th- funny that things stick in your kid in your head as a kid, and saying, "Oh, hello, Mr. Border, would you mind signing my book?" And you were full of smiles, and I can remember you asking my name, and you signed that to Mark in the. F- and I was on cloud nine for three weeks. I remember going back to school, and it was show and tell, and I met Alan Border. How did you cope? I don't know if "cope"s the right word, but it's such a fond memory for me. What was it like for you in in the eighties and nineties when wherever you would go, kids would look at you with stars in your eyes? It must be a special thing, Alan. 
Yeah, it's a it's a strange one. Um, you, it probably takes a while to sort of come to grips with, yeah, you know how you, how you do affect people. I mean, initially it's sort of like sometimes it's a bit of a chore. You know, after a day's play, if you're signing, mm. you know, you're going to leave the dressing room and there's a hundred kids waiting there to, um, and and you sort of oh, it's it's a bit of a chore. Then after a while, you start to realise, like this is pretty unbelievable um, that people are still you know going to line up and and. And just the look on their faces when you actually sign their cricket bat or ball or whatever piece of paper, whatever it is. Um, yeah, probably initially you don't appreciate it, but um, you know certainly, you know once you get into a, a cricket career and if you if you have that longevity, certainly, and um, and obviously subsequently, so sort of now you sort of think because people do come up to you like you, and yeah. um, you know 20, 30, 40 years ago I've signed or, or met them. And you're sort of just cr- crossing your fingers, hoping, oh, God, I hope I didn't sort of, um, you know, tell this little <laughs> kid to rack off. <laughs> Which, you know, like I, I suppose might have happened. Yeah, I can't really remember being, you know, like that. But occasionally you might have just caught, caught some, you know, at the wrong time and you, you've told them, oh, look, not now, or you've given them a brush off. But, um, yeah, you, you do, do you, you see these, you know, like six foot seven bloke comes up to you and said, oh, I ran onto the gabber, you know, when I was about four. <laughs> Five or six, Dad took me there, and you're thinking, "Oh no, hope I did the right thing." <laughs> <laughs> but but it is because, it, as I said, I can remember it clearly. It's 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 thirty odd years ago, but it sticks in my memory. So you can really leave someone with, with a lasting piece of joy, I guess, which is what what you did for me. So, AB, whenever I have cricketers on there, I always love talking about um, their backyard cricket. Take me back to was it Mossman in yeah. in Sydney where you would have been playing your first games of backyard cricket? What was the setup? Was it a front yard, backyard? What was it? Uh, it's backyard, um, and we had this uh, like a bit of a c- cement slab that Dad had I don't know just put out there for whatever reason rather than grass. Maybe you know you saw the that we needed a bit of a, a cricket sort of a, a place to play, but um, yeah. We, we got sort of banned from uh, using hard balls because we used to break the next door windows a fair bit. Uh, so that got, uh, we got the short shift there. But we discovered that um, Dad had these grapefruit trees at the back of the uh, uh, property. Yeah. And um, the grapefruit, you know, they get this big and they're like <laughs> lousy to eat, I reckon. Mum and Dad like them. But, it's real but sour what, buggers. But when they're that big, right, they're green and yeah. they're rock hard. And on this uh, cement surface, <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, you feel like it was a macram, or I did. <laughs> <laughs> so the grapefruit was your ball? Oh, the grape, we used the grapefruit as a ball, right? And um, <laughs> a new ball could be taken after about six deliveries because they got a bit squishy <laughs> after a while. But, um, mate, there's some serious, serious uh, bounces bowled. And so it was bouncer Yorker. That was how, you know, you tried to get them out. But most of the time you try and hit little brother, um, cause, which I had two of and one older brother. Um, so the backyard tests were pretty pretty full on, um, and these grapefruits, they they hurt if they hit you. Don't worry about that. But they used to skid off this cement. Um, so we had various um, games in the back backyard, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it was great great fun. So, what's your first memories of playing an organised game of cricket? Who, who would it have been for, and what age would you have been when you played your first game that you can remember? Yeah, first actual game. It was got to be for Mossman under twelves. I was about eight. Um, you know, you got the short, short white pants. You know, you just you, you, <laughs> luckily you don't have photos of that probably. Or, or, or do no, I don't think I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to consult uh, the uh, early autobiography. No, of that they've one. been banned, I think. From, um, but uh, yeah, but um, 
It, yeah, Mossman. And, and there was a pretty good you know, uh, competition around the uh, sort of that North Sydney, northern suburbs sort of area. Um, and um, oh, just heaps of kids, um, you know, because I, all I had to do is sort of walk across the road from my and place and, to the Oval and, you know, I'm, I'm there. So it's for as long as I can remember, you know, you've been sort of cricket's been played there or watching cricket and so I played for Mossman um, in my early days. Um, first bat, do you remember what your first bat would have been? Uh, first bat was a Bob Simpson autograph. Can you believe Bob it? Bob Simpson autograph. Yeah. And all those years later. And then he became such up. an, yeah, he yeah. became the coach and yeah. the World Cup, et cetera. So was that a, was that a trip down to the sports store? Was it a Christmas present? It was or you a don't Christmas know? present. You know, you wake was up it? Christmas morning <laughs> and you're out, out there under the tree about, what, 4 a.m., probably even yep, earlier. Yep, yep, yep. And all of a sudden, and I didn't see it. You know, it's one of those ones where you sort of look at all the things that are wrapped up and this, this is um, Slazinger Bat just sitting up there with uh, Bob Simpson autograph. Um, didn't notice for about, you know, like half an hour. Then all of a sudden, you know, Dad, Dad's up, fine out, and he's sort of, uh, well, what do you reckon about that up there, mate? And you sort of have a look. Oh, wow, how did Santa know? Yeah. <laughs> And was it an oiling and a, and a knocking in style situation? Uh, I had to go through that process, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but that was the f- the first bat uh, that I I actually owned, a Bob Simpson. I don't think I think I've told I haven't told Simo that that story. <laughs> <laughs> and what about first hundred? Can you remember a first hundred in any form of cricket? Uh, yeah, same. Uh, probably not that year. A few years later, uh, Mossman yep. under twelve. So I, by this stage, I was probably eleven. You know, just just hanging in there in the under twelves, and uh, down at um, Primrose Park, at um, in Sydney, you you wouldn't probably know where it is. No, but, no, um, I don't. Yeah, it's a good little ground. There was about well, three or four cricket pitches um, at Primrose Park, and uh, that's that's where I got my first hundred on a Malthoid. We used to play on a Malthoid pitch. Yep. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're good surface to you know learn your your, your shots because the the ball sort of skidded through and it was pretty pretty good surface to bat on. So at what stage, AB, did cricket grab you as a potential career? I always ask this question, especially the cricketers, you know. I think Ricky Ponting from age 12 was always going to play for Australia and then there's other fellas like Justin Lang that had to work his guts out to get mm. there. Yeah. Were you an outstanding cricketer as a 13-, 14-, 15-year-old? No, no. I, I was um, good but not not uh, the best in the team and, and probably not even, you know, in the top – Three. Uh, as I got older, it, it, it sort of, you know, my, my progress was, you know, year by year I did get better. Uh, so that was a good thing. But so, but, but at age eight to 12, you know, you're just uh, in the pack of, of players going along okay. And then, you know, getting a little bit better as you go through from, you know, 13 to say 16. And I, 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 I started to play really well, but at 16, I played my first, first grade game. But I, I, I didn't sort of, you know, you don't sort of, I didn't feel that, uh, yeah, this is the career I'm going to follow. I mean, you just love playing the game. Uh, you start uh, getting interested in other things at that age, um, 16, 17, you're sort of um, beach girls, you know, just having a good time. Uh, cricket, the disciplines of cricket, you know, I, I didn't really follow too, too strictly through that period. Um and so I was, you know, a couple of years sort of oscillating between first grade, second grade. Um, well, had yeah. you finished school at this stage? Sort of just finishing school. So I finished school about 17, 18. And, um, yeah, just drift. It was really just had about probably 18 months of just drifting around 
not really sort of knowing what to do with myself, you know, finishing school. Were you school. working? Uh, I, I didn't I, – I, I always say this is the best six months of my life was <laughs> I'd get up in the morning. It was a yeah. summer. Get up in the morning, go down to Balmoral Beach, spend all day at Balmoral Beach, <laughs> walk back up the hill because I had no money, but I only had a dollar. Walk back up the hill, I go to the local milk bar, get a hamburger, go home, <laughs> <laughs> chop the hamburger, um, and then sit in front of the TV until it, the, the old test pattern used to come on at oh, whatever time it was, midnight. Bloody so, hell. And that was my day. And I right. did it for six months. And then finally, my mum said, uh, You've had a good time, young man. Time for you to go and get a job. So that was when I was, you know, just, I'd just finished school. But six months after I'd finished school, that's why. What was the job? And I worked as a, as a clerk. I had some fancier name than that. Clerk for BP. For uh, BP? Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those jobs where I'd spend, you know, three months in marketing, three months in there, and I had to pump gas for three months. So that was a <laughs> bit of a hoot because, you know, little old ladies would come in and um, you know, they'd buy, you know, $2 worth of petrol and you had to check everything in the car, tyres, oil, all the rest of it. And <laughs> half the time I'd just, you know, bend down and just squirt the old <laughs> air gun. Just pretend I was <laughs> filling up tyres. Oh gosh! But uh, three months of doing that, then that was probably, you know, that was enough of um, working at BP. I had the opportunity to go over to England, you know, after working for a couple of years, um, um, playing in the leagues over there. Yep. Yeah. So that sort of, um, you know, started the sort of the build up to bigger and better things. Talking about bigger and better things, I've written it down. So you made your debut. Against Queensland, which is rather ironic, after yeah. you went on to captain them and win shields with them, uh, at the SCG January 1977, where you made 36. But then, AB, let's move past that. What are your memories of your first test, Australia versus England at the MCG, the third test in 1978? You know, you've presented caps now. You've been there and, you know, it's all filmed and it's all recorded and it's front page of the paper. How does Alan Border find out he's going to play a test match? I think the media contacted me. Um, I was at home um, and you just get the phone call from, I don't know, whoever it was. Yep. They sort of asked if um, they could come around and get a photo. You know, you've been picked in the team. I, I can't even remember getting a call from anyone from Cricket Australia. It might, really? have been, it, might, it might have been Bob Radford who, who gave me a call from New South Wales cricket. Um, but, I, I, but the memory sort of doesn't serve me too well as far as exactly, you know, was a phone call from him. But I, I distinctly remember the, the uh, journo coming around. I had a sort of photo taken with um, Jane, who's now my wife, um, at the time girlfriend, um, you know, just sort of doing something stupid you know, over at Mossman Oval. And, and <laughs> you know, Alan Border, you know, the, the latest sort of test uh, debutante. Sort of thing, and um, you know, it was like hugely exciting. But I, I've got to say, it, it's nothing like uh, in today's cricket, no. where you know you you made a bit of a fuss over, uh, you, you get presented with your cap, and it's it's a really big deal. Like in those times, um, World Series cricket's happening. Um, you know, the the game split a little bit. And um, the, the, most, yeah, my observation of sort of turning up to Melbourne for the for the Test match was it was a was a bit of a, a dog eat dog, you know, uh, everyone looking after themselves, worrying about the you know selectors sort of knife in the bat. That that was the sort of how it felt in the in that dressing room. Um, still hugely exciting, and like all Australian cricket teams, you know, once you get out on the field, you know, you're going to have a bit of a crack. 
but just the atmosphere around the the cricket was um, not not fantastic because you know it was all split and the the selectors were sort of trying to work out who was good enough to be playing Test cricket at the time because most of our best players were playing you know in uh, the the World Series cricket Kerry Packer run thing so. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it, it was, as I said, still very exciting, but um, it, it just, uh, you know, I remember going to the airport. It's a very low, it was a lonely sort of experience. You know, you, you're by yourself. Right. There was no, none of the other uh, test players were, you know, travelling down with me. And then I, I sort of got to the airport Then I kind of remember even getting met, you know, you sort of get a taxi, you get to the, the hotel, which was the Hilton in, in, in Melbourne. And then you walk in and uh, you've, you know, you don't know anyone, and I—I I, I didn't even know. I think I might have known Graham Wood from Schoolboys Cricket or something. That's um, it. Yeah, that, it was amazing. I didn't really know uh, too many of the guys uh, well at all. Um, there's a few. And, of, you, and the cap had the baggy green, so all very exciting. You got presented with that, but that when I say presented, I had to go into the offices of New South Wales Cricket or Australian Cricket. We're in the same place. Uh, Alan Barnes was the CEO then. Um, and he just gave me the, here's your ticket, here's your jumper, uh, here's your cap. Um, you know, he had to get, you know, your own shirts and, and whites and all the rest of it. There was, there was no, it was a really odd, when I think back now, um, you didn't know any better. But um, Did you say you had to have, to have your own whites? Yeah. Yeah, no, you had to go and buy. I went down the road and got, you know, to um, Bertie Oldfields. Bertie Oldfields had a cricket store, especially cricket store in the city in Sydney. And you had to buy your whites to play for Australia. Yeah, because the, the whites I've been using were, you know, a bit so-so. So, because <laughs> you've got no cash at the time, eh? you're just sort of getting by. So I had to go it's and buy some new whites, yeah. Australia named Bruce Yardley as 12th man and England chose John Lever. And this, of course, gave Alan Border, the young New South Welshman, the chance of playing in his first test. Your first test innings, AB, uh, you come in at number six. 29 of 115 balls. So you were there for a fair old while. Yeah. You, walking out at the MCG, can you remember? Was it a nervous time or was it, I just want to get stuck in here? It's against the old enemy. It's an Ashes test match. Yeah, yeah, very nervous, as you can imagine. Yep. And then um, your, your turn comes to bat. It was sort of lateish in the day. And run straight away. That's getting down towards the boundary. That was well timed. I don't think really will get this. But slowing down, but really will not make it. Four runs to border. Um, and got through to stumps um, because we were, we, you know, at the time uh, we were sort of, uh, you know, had a good sort of uh, lead in the game. And uh, so we, we were sort of trying to build an ease. And I think Graham Wood made 100 and I'd batted with him for a, for a period of time and it was not out overnight. And I can distinctly remember um, in, in the change rooms that night, uh, um, Neil Harvey came in, who was a selector. And uh, he'd made 100 on debut. So he was talking to me. He said, now, Max, will you go on tomorrow and, uh, you know, get, get those three figures? And I'm thinking, oh, fair way to go, 29. But anyway, well, yes, yes, uh, Mr Harvey. <laughs> anyway, next day I think I got out, you know, like within a couple of balls, yeah. So I was, I, I was 29 not out and I made 29. <laughs> and he's Ooh, caught. Yes, he's out. Caught by Brearley. Well, Brearley took the catch. So a wicket straight away, border. Caught really, Bold Hendrick for 29, Australia 5 for 247. But it was, um, yeah, look, it was just really exciting, just good to sort of get the opportunity because you sort of, I, I, I don't know whether I'd even dreamed about playing cricket for Australia, to be, to be honest. It was only until you start playing first-class cricket that you think, oh, well, maybe, you never know with the way things are at, at that time. Um, 
and and I'm forever thankful for World Series cricket because yeah. it, it sort of opened up so many opportunities for guys like me that you might not who, who knows you just don't know whether you would have you know taken the chance or, or been given the chance. Um, so yeah, World Series cricket was a good good for me. So second you know, run out for zero. We won't ask you about that in the second innings. <laughs> but your, yeah. your second test, sixty not out and forty five not out. For the bank and turns that delicately off his pad. That's his fifty. And a very generous round of applause from this rather large Sydney crowd. Three runs. Then it comes back very, very quickly. And that's his first 50 in test matches. It took him 192 minutes, so it's been a model of concentration. And he's struck three fours in it. Well played, Alan Border. And then your third test, one and 11, and then you got dropped. Yeah. So you got dropped after three tests. Now, we must point out then after that, you played a world record 153 straight test matches, but uh, you, you made 60 and 45 not out. The next test won 11, then you got dropped. Yeah. Statistically, I don't know what's happening at the time, but statistically that looks like you've been pretty harshly dealt with. Is that is that a phone call or does someone just tap you on the shoulder and say you're out of the team or what happened there? No, you find out, you know, basically uh, probably the night before um, they say, oh, we're going to go, you know, we need the all-rounder. Um, ah, but it was absolute rubbish. We needed batting. Yes. Uh, the, the the side was um, uh, five out, all out. We we had uh, four number 11s. You know, you wow. Jeff, Jeff Dimmock, <laughs> Rodney Hogg, um, <laughs> Alan Hurst, Jim Higgs. Right. Um, like, so she's a pretty long tail. Yeah. So it went, seriously, we could be five for 270 and yep. we'd be struggling to make 280. <laughs> That's just, you know. That's so why'd the, they drop you then? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I hadn't played well in Adelaide. We, we were getting um, England out. That wasn't the issue. It was getting enough runs. Um, so I, 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 don't, I don't think I was aggrieved at the time. You just sort of, you know, oh, yeah, you, know, you just cop it on the, on the chin and, and do the 12th man duties the best you can. Yep. And it's, it's the worst job in the world. You, you, you sort of try and do a good job, but I've since realised you want to do the worst job you can possibly do <laughs> so they don't make a 12th man again. <laughs> <laughs> because we had Hogg. Hogg was in the team and they were talking about his head was this big at the time, right? <laughs> he was a pain in the backside. Oh, what a catch, what a catch. Has he stumped it up? Yes, up goes the umpire's finger and McLean's taking another. It's really his day. Edmonds goes for just a single and Rodney Hogg takes his fifth wicket here in his first test match. And um, I tell him, yeah, every time I see him, because I was 12th man in this test match in Sydney, and Hogg would not sign anything, right? He wouldn't. He just, and if he did, it was like the cursory, just a scribble. Right. Yeah. So you, you, at the SCG, there, there was this big, huge table in the viewing room at the front, and people used to bring, like, there was hundreds and hundreds of cricket bats and different things to sign. <laughs> and I'd be saying, you know, at the appropriate time, oh, Rod, um, sign a few bats because that was the 12th his job to get all that done. So everyone else is just doing their thing, you know, while they're watching the cricket. No, no, not doing them, not doing them. So in the end, I there's about there'd be a thousand bats out there with <laughs> Rodney Hogg's per Allen Border. So I used to just copy his signature because it was just a scribble. It was a, it's the worst. I used to say, what what does that say again? Rodney Hogg. <laughs> oh mate. Right. Yeah. So I right. soon soon realised do not be twelfth man, especially if Hogg's in the team. Well, this is the first time the scrapbook comes out, AB. Right. Um, I'm going to pull it out for the first time here, which is nicely autographed on the front. 
I think you autographed it for me the first time when we did. Remember that crazy Forex Gold Beach cricket we did? Yeah, for yeah Channel how 10? good was that? That was great. Oh, how good was that? We, yeah. we need to speak about that later. But the first time it comes out, and this is a, a trip down memory lane for you. So the scrapbook started <laughs> in 1979, and yep. there's an Alan Border cricket card, and I've written next to it a famous Border cut. So you can see it there. That's yep. the start of the scrapbook. There's no beard at that stage. I reckon that's in my first test. Right. You're looking young and very fresh-faced, aren't you? Yeah. Well, it's early on in my career. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to sort of – is there someone in the background there? I can't really see it well. No. It's no. early on in my career, put it that way, yeah. So yeah, very early. There's no beard. There's no moustache. We'll get back to the scrapbook, though. But I, I guess one of the iconic moments in Australian cricket, AB, and I, I was lucky enough to have – well, Lord Ian Botham, the, the man's a lord, which you would find extraordinary because you've spent so much time with him over the years. Oh, my God. It's going to be hard to call him Lord Botham. <laughs> and he's coming out this summer as I think he's coming out as the trade envoy, isn't he, or something? Yeah. Like, what's the world coming to? <laughs> I don't it's know. a crazy anyway, time. <laughs> lord Ian Botham is obviously heavily involved in the famous day at the MCG with, with you and Tomo. And the story has been spoken about a lot. Tomo gets out, you know, you needed 79, he gets the next day, you nearly get there, and we always hear about what happened when Tomo got out. Yeah. But I've always been fascinated, and I know Shane Warne talks about he snuck down with his brother, I think Jason, to go and watch the, the, the match that morning at the MCG and the open the gates. But when Tomo gets out, what happens at that point when you're walking off the ground together, when you're into the change rooms together? Is it devastation? Yeah. You've got yeah. beaten by the smallest of margins. Yeah, it was that's that's a good term for it, devastation because you'd sort of done so much of the hard work and and like the the odds were sort of yeah a million to one to start with with Tomo walking out to bat. He smashes that back with a point. It could be four. He missed it and it's four more. Forty-two runs for victory. And I'm thinking, oh, uh, this is not good. But um, it's only like thirty minutes till stumps. Uh, let's try and get through the stumps and, you know, Melbourne could rain all day tomorrow. Let's have a look at the scorecards now at uh, the close of play. Australia, with that partnership between Border and Thompson, took the final score along to nine for 255. Yeah, that, that's, that's yes. my thinking because I'm not overly confident in Tomo lasting too long. So the ball is going to look for two here and should get it satisfactorily. And now, Mr Fielder, now it's a quarter win. For Australia. And, um, yeah, so when, when it was all said and done, finished, yeah, you just go so close and then you start to think, oh, what about that ball I got on my legs that I, I missed or what about that shot I hit and, and, and Lammy or someone just happened to knock it down and he didn't get, get the runs. Ian Botham balls now to Jeff Thompson. about that then? What a marvellous game of cricket this has been uh, here at the MCG. Three runs, the lowest winning margin ever, equaling the one in 1902 at Old Trafford. Because you're trying to find two runs. You know, surely we can find a couple of runs from somewhere that, you know, just, you know, so you start blaming yourself and of course Tomo blames himself. Was he hard on himself? Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, typically hard on himself. You know, it was always one of those guys that, you know, didn't like poor performance, um, and 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 that particular situation, he you know, 
he, he's not renowned for his batting, but he did, you know, like he batted his backside off and, and uh, played so well. And, you know, he, he felt like he'd let, you know, everyone down. So he was really cut up, you know, more, more so than me. I was cut up because I just, I was thinking about those little moments that, I, you know, I missed shots that I should have got. That, that was my thinking. Yeah, so he was in the change. I just remember sitting there. Um, I think everyone had sort of gone off into the lunchrooms. You know, it, got, it was that sort of time of day that the game was um, lost and um, everyone had gone into the lunchrooms and there was just sort of me and Tomo and just sort of kicking cans basically, just sitting in the, in the rooms. Um, yeah, terrible feeling. I remember talking to this. Um, so, so when we when we commentate the cricket, AB obviously the cricket goes for six and a half hours, and you know we might commentate for two and a half hours. So there's a lot of sitting around out the back of the box just chatting. And I, I can remember talking to you about this and and about um, Shane was asking you these questions about what the situation was like. But I remember you said something that it was a really important test match for you because you hadn't really established, and I didn't realise this, you hadn't established your spot in the side and no. that innings gave you confidence to really move forward with your test career, which was something I didn't realise. Oh, look, I, um, that that particular innings, I, I was close to getting dropped, really close. I mean, I'd, oh. I'd played okay test cricket, up to that point, but um, yeah, you know, just you know, had, had my moments, but um, I yeah, I hadn't really. I, I was struggling in the early early games of that that particular series against England, um, and I reckon I was like that far from getting dropped. First innings, I didn't get many, so the next right there, you know, just about to get the the axe for sure. And second inning, so I go out to bat, and we're in a bit of strife, you know, chasing. We were only chasing about 280, but it was the, the old MCG wicket, you know, the up and down Low, job. low, yep. And it was just, yeah, hard work. Um, and But I, but I'm thinking, I, I know, like, I, I don't make any runs here, I'm gone. So, you know, I'm sort of hanging in there. So I'm thinking about that. And then also we're losing wickets and getting to the situation. So in, in, a, in a funny sort of way, it helped because... Instead of start, you know, starting to think, oh, you know, God, you know, like every ball's like a hand grenade, that, that's how I was approaching batting at the time, I, I was able to sort of free up and think about, oh, look, we've got, you know, a couple of weeks left in the shed. You know, I've got to try and uh, take as much strike as I could. You know, so you start thinking, you know, batsmanship rather than, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble, I'm not playing very well and every, every, yeah. every ball bowls, you know, going to explode. Um, so it was it was good, and and so it freed me up, and so I started to really sort of play some good shots and, and get back to some sort of form. And back to the great man AB shortly. Next Thursday on our Ashes Extravaganza, former England batsman and one of the great entertainers ever to set foot in a commentary box, David Lloyd, aka Bumble. Do not miss this episode. Do not, or you'll miss some stories like the one about Bumble's mate from his local pub, Paul. <laughs> Who spent time in prison? When he did time, yeah. If I, do you know what a Reliant Robin is? No. It's a three-wheel car. Oh. It's a three-wheel car. Well, like Mr Bean drives. Yeah, yeah, and like Only Fools and Horses. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Only Fools and Horses. Okay, okay, okay. So he's decided, him and his mate Joey, this is Paul, he's going to ram raid, he's going to ram raid <laughs> this TV shop. Because they've got some VCRs in the in the they've got them all stacked up and he can get shut of them in the pub. Right. So they try they try to ram raid the front door of this television shop. Yeah. But the three wheeler wouldn't go up the curb. <laughs> it's not 
it was, they couldn't get it. He kept hitting this curb. So they had one last go and he's hit this curb and the doors fell off. <laughs> Do, the doors gone. So they've done a runner. They've done a runner. The alarm's gone. The alarm's gone up. So they've done a runner. But, but they forgot the dog. They left the dog in the car. And the, the dog's got his collar on with his name and address. <laughs> that is Bumble. Do not miss it. That's only a little teaser of the story as he rolls out coming up next Thursday. Let's get back to AB. Before we get to the captaincy, AB, I mentioned earlier on you got dropped, then you played 153 tests over an enormous period of time all around the world. From your experience, what was the key to your longevity? How did you keep getting out on the park physically and mentally? 153 test matches. It's, I don't, you could tell me, but it's, it's over a 15-year period where you didn't miss yeah. a test match for your country. Well, I, I suppose, you know, this, look, I, I didn't have uh, muscle or an injury that I couldn't play with. So, in other words, I, I didn't tear hamstrings or, you know, rib cages or, you know, all, all that sort of stuff that, you know, you just cannot play with, you know, um, that guys uh, suffer. You know, if I was a bowler, there might have been some times where I had a little bit of a niggle in yep. the groin, I wouldn't have been able to play. But as a batsman, you, you can sort of get by. Um, you have the odd broken finger um, that in, in those days, you just you didn't even tell anyone, really. Um, you had a sore finger and you strapped it up and away you went. What about the, what about the mental side of the game? You know, we'll talk about the great West Indian teams and there was a period there where if you didn't make runs, Australia didn't make runs. How did you mentally get yourself up innings after innings when you were the best batsman in the country by the length of the straight? I, I was one of those people that never satisfied. So you'd walk off at, at the end of any particular innings, even if you're not out, but, uh, you know, you, you might have made 120 and you and you sit in the change rooms, and you and you still kicking cans and upsetting yourself for getting out. Right. And you could always, you know, I can't ever remember being totally satisfied with the performance. So whether that's just a, you know part of my makeup, and it's one of those things that just drives you. You know, you're never going to have the perfect game, are you? In in those with with my mentality. Um, so that that's that drives you um, to just be the best you can possibly be on any given day. And I, I talk to a few of the younger guys about this now, particularly young batting, is you've got to play your conditions and play your bowler. You can't just walk out there and I, I don't like the saying, oh, it's just the way I play. Yeah. You know, when people get out in, in yep. silly ways, you think, oh, well, it's the way I play. And, and, and the, the West Indians of the time, and you know, it was, well, you went through the the Ghana period and and holding and and these guys, and then you you know you had to at the end you had to face Walsh and and Ambrose and these guys. Did you ever, uh, w- without the face guards on the helmets, etc., did you ever feel fear when you're out batting, or it just wasn't part of your makeup when you're oh, facing those types? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think people are joking or, or kidding themselves, but they don't say it, it, it's not. You're not scared. Or maybe you are. I mean, particularly if, you're, if I'm Jim Higgs facing those blokes, yep. yeah, I'm scared. Yep. But, you know, with my level of play, I, I was – you're always nervous and you're always fearful uh, because, mate, the cricket ball hurts if it hits you. Yes. Um, and depending on where it hits you, um, you know, it could be very catastrophic. So you, you are always aware of that. Uh, so there, there are different days where you've got, you know, different apprehensions. Um 
about the fast bike. I remember facing Michael Holden one day. It was a one-day game in Perth, a one-day game. And I walked out to bat on a hat-trick in the first over of the game. So good, solid start. Holding to Darling. Ball him, round his legs. And Darling goes, ball by holding. The West Indies absolutely jubilant. Great chuckle with that one now. And he's gone. He's out for his third successive duck. Great chuckle out first ball. And the West Indians can are just beside themselves. But Michael, I don't know, he, he had the pin this particular day and he was rushing by mere miles an hour. Ten o'clock start, so it was, had the, uh, you know, the old wacker wicket had a glaze on it. Yeah. And a fairly low sun. Oh. And just picking up this white ball, I, I was absolutely shitting bricks, I've got to tell you. I, I, huh. It was a scariest of, you know, and I thought, well, if he gets it right here, I, I just won't be able to get out of the road. I wasn't thinking, you know, white ball, you're supposed to be smashed all over the place. No. I was just did thinking you, survival. Did, and did you get, get it? Out of the and, and I was absolutely, yeah, just it's the fastest bowling I've, I've faced, that, that particular spell. Uh, didn't get many. Might, might have got 20-odd, but um, it was like a nerve. It, like I, you know, openly say, you know, if, if that's, uh, you know, how a blokes go out there and face now can't bat, and they're, they're scared. I, I sort yeah. of get it now. That that was my right. day of being generally scared of being hit. Did you have any idea that Kim was going into a press conference to announce that he was giving up the captaincy? Yeah, yeah. He'd um, uh, we're talking uh, probably eighty four, eighty five. Might have been uh, tea time, day five, and we're in the throes of losing the game. We're, we're going to lose. Uh, I, I, there's no way we're going to hang on for two hours. We might have been eight or nine out by then, even say. So, tea break. You know, we're sort of we've lost the West Indies yet again. No, it's not not a, a terrible thing because I I strongly believe they're probably the best cricket team put together ever. I mean, yeah. Anytime you put Brabham in a team, yeah. But I, I just can't see how teams uh, consistently can get a, a, on top of that bowling unit, and then you've got to still get, yeah. 20 wickets to win the game. And you got well, you got to knock over Haynes Greenwich and, and Haynes and Richards yeah, and all these like They had a serious batting order as well. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so we're, we're going to lose the game. So, Kim, there, there'd been a lot of argy-bargy, you know, uh, in the media and uh, over the previous few weeks and even while Kim was captain, there was always a bit of an undercurrent, you know, um, that, uh, you know, he was the golden-haired boy, you know, of, of Australian cricket and, you know, he, whether he should be captain or not was always a debate, you know. And uh, he, so he, he came up to me and, and he, he gave me this piece of paper. And I started to read it, you know, Jim Hughes, I, I hereby resign. And I'm, I, I just thought, what, 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 are you, what are you doing, mate? What are you, there's no need for all this. Mate, we're, not, we're getting beaten by a pretty handy cricket team here. There's not much more we can do. All you can do as captain, we're, we're just, you know, they're better than us. You know, words to that effect. And he said, "Oh, mate, no, I've had, I've had enough. You know, you know, there's just other forces you know, happening. On. I, I wasn't fully aware of what was going on in the background because, you know, he hasn't really sort of, even to this day, um, told me too much about that. But there was a lot of sand being shoveled under his feet by other hmm. other people around the place in Australian cricket. And um, yeah, so he said he just had enough. I wasn't enjoying the cricket. It's just it really affected me. I, you know, it's, I just." I, 
I, I just want to get back to enjoying the game. So I, I just, I'll just give, give this job away and um, take a deep breath and see what happens from there. So I sort of tried to talk him out of it and uh, I mentioned to a few of the other boys in the change room uh, at tea break and they, they were the same, but he was just steadfast in, in uh, his decision. So we lose a couple of wins pretty quickly after tea and then, of course, he goes into the press conference to you know, deliver the, the news and um, he, he breaks down and you know, the rest is history. The constant speculation, criticism and innuendo by former players and section of the media over the past four or five years have finally taken their toll. It is in the interest of the team. It is in, in the interest of the team, Australian cricket. And it, and it annoys the hell out of me when he um, gets portrayed as being soft for crying. Yeah, he is a really tough, tough operator. So, yes, um, yeah, it was inter- interesting times. So it was a, a tumultuous sort of, you know, the way it all was happening at the time um, and with the team. We were playing against a very good, you know, great outfit in the West Indies. So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, tough afternoon. So when they say to you, right, Alan, you're the new captain, what's your initial thought? Uh, is it fantastic? Is it, oh, no, is it somewhere in between? Is it how am I going to lead this side? What's your initial thought when they say you're giving them, being given the most important job in Australian sport? Yeah, uh, it was more of the oh, no. Was it? Yeah, I have to admit that. Um, I, I didn't go into the job, um, you know, with, with great mindset. I've got to, got to admit that because... I was sort of, you know, a lot more aware of what had happened to Kim and I just thought, you know, I was quite happy being one of the boys and, uh, you know, looking after, you know, your, your side of the, the game in a team environment as well. But, you know, you can there's a, you can relax a little lot more. You know, you, you subsequently find out as captain, it's a, you know, people treat you very differently from one day you're just one of the boys, next day you're captain. It's, it's a different scenario. Like his batting style, Alan Border was confident but guarded when he met the media during a stopover at Melbourne Airport. He said he was honoured to be given the captaincy but had a few regrets about taking over from his close friend and teammate, Kim Hughes. We've had a slight, you know, a bit of a talk about uh, circumstances that you know, might confront myself and him in uh, Adelaide that was in Brisbane. But, um, you know, I think he's just keen to show everyone that uh, he's a, a world-class batsman. Border will assume control in his 64th test. I just, I, I wasn't sort of really ready for it. Even though I was vice-captain, I hadn't really thought too much about it. Um, so I went in with the oh, no, type attitude. Uh, but at the same time, you thought, well, I'm going to give it a bit of a go. But I'm, I'm <laughs> a bit, bit wary, you know, about, um, you know, what, what this job's all about. Um, so my first three games, I mean, we were playing the West Indies, so it's a, one of the great cricket teams, so I knew it was, it was a tough ask. And I think the selectors probably appreciated that as well. But the group we got together, and so the three test matches, we, we won one, we lost one, we drew one. Um, so I'm thinking that's, that's a pretty good start. I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, the group was starting to, you know, get, gain some momentum uh, some young blokes coming through. We had, you know, the, the bowling attack was was looking pretty good. Um, yeah, so you know, going from those first three games, I started to then, you know, feel you know, a little bit better about uh, this job I'm taking on. 
But, you know, then, of course, you know, you, you start getting into the, the Rebel Tours and, and uh, the lead-up to that, and um, that's when, you know, that, that again sort of formulated my, you know, mental um, approach to captaincy for the next couple of years. You know, I was a pretty ordinary leader. Cap- captaincy is one thing. Leadership's the other. And, uh, yeah, my leadership wasn't really good for a couple of years there. I've got to, got, got to admit, there's players who were sort of looking, at, looking for me to sort of you know, lead, and uh, they're just desperate for you know for that to happen. But I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't seeing it. You know, I just uh, wasn't and wasn't feeling it. I didn't know who to trust, and it was one of those situations for a couple of years. There just was was a struggle. But there, you know, with the Australian cricket team, when I think back, I said, "Oh, why, why wouldn't you just given the captaincy away, or why didn't the the, the authorities say, oh, well, you're not doing very well, AB? We're going to make so and so captain because there was no one else. There was no one else who." You could give the job to that wouldn't be under the pump for their uh, position in the side. Um, so I suppose, I, you know, I was doing an okay job, but I, when I think back at it, I, I just well, I didn't grab the job like I should have, and that's that's one regret. So, AB, we now come back to the scrapbook. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. This is... Border, border breaks the drought. Border breaks the drought. So... You've been describing about um, the Rebel Tours and, and a difficult time as captain. So Border breaks the drought. Sydney, Alan Border admitted last night that he had been finding it a chore to get out of bed each morning and faced the job of trying to inspire the team with Australia's worst non-winning sequence in test matches. So you'd been through a really, really, really tough time where you weren't able to win games of cricket. It was the first victory in 15 tests, and that's exactly what you were describing. Peter Smith, his final delivery. Got it! Victory for Australia! They've won with one over remaining, so the runabout ends the end of a very memorable test match. Victory by 55 runs, five wickets to Peter Sweep, one of the all-time great test matches. And I don't bring this up um, for any reason except to say... How did you deal with loss when yeah. you're a captain and defeat and heavy defeat? And what did you learn about failure when you were in that really important job? Yeah, look, uh, I didn't like failure. I didn't like playing poorly. I, I, don't, I, I could sort of um, handle being outplayed and beaten fair and square as long as you have a you know, red-hot go. There's nothing, no problem with that. Even though you don't accept it, you, you, well, you do accept it, but you, you don't like it. So yeah, going through that uh, that period, you know, where we were just getting beaten by everyone, um, it, it was it was difficult because you, yeah, the Australian cricket public, you know, just haven't seen Australian cricket teams go through that very often, have they? You know, the, no. The, the, there's been high expectation for Australian cricket teams to do well, particularly at home. And well, mate, uh, we one, just... one win in 15 Test matches, you, you can imagine that now. It, there'd be a national inquiry. Oh, we, we just weren't producing, and I mean. I, I, the, the old things were happening too, you know, the, the, the chopping and changing between players. Um, I, I can remember a few times turning up, I don't know who Bruce Reed is. I've got no idea. I just know he's tall, right? <laughs> so you walk into the team room, oh, go, you must be Bruce. Because you're tall. Right. I mean, that, that's how it was in those days. It was just I didn't, there was no consultant, the captain. The team was getting chopped and changed and 
was just a nightmare um, as a captain. You know, when I think back now, what I know now, you, you know, it would have been great to have a bit of that now back then, but, I, you know, you just it, it was the way it was. So, yeah, long, long period without doing well. Uh, um, it's just very frustrating. Um, no, one, no one likes losing. Um, so yeah, that was, was a difficult uh, scenario. I, I, in my own admission, my leadership was poor. So I didn't when you really say that, when you say what, 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 like after the the benefit of experience, and we'll get to the good times and they're coming. But when you say it was poor, what were you doing that was poor on reflection from a man of experience now? Well, just for example, you know, Bruce Reed comes into the side. We're talking about a pretty handy cricketer, but yes. I, you know, I didn't know him at the time. I, I, I just, as I said, I knew he was tall. So I, I see Bruce now. A good leader would have then followed that up with. Um, I'll catch up with you tonight. We'll go and have a few beers and, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me. Uh, we'll have a bit of a chat because, uh, you know, I, he's, he's new to the side. He's a left-arm quickie. You know, what sort of feels do you normally bowl to, blah, blah. You know, that sort of conversation. Gotcha. I never did that, any of that. Um, and it's a funny thing because in my mind, when I turned up to play cricket for Australia, mate, you, you, got, throw, you get thrown in, you either... Sink or you swim. So that that was my mentality in in the captaincy because it, don't forget I'd been through this period where yeah, it started off okay, but then rebel tours and different things. And I, I don't know who, who to trust. I don't know even the Australian Cricket Board. I didn't have a great you know particular relationship at the time. So it was just it was you know my mindset was was muddled up and and so I was just expecting oh well, Bruce you know if he's good enough he'll he'll get he'll get by. Yeah, what can I say to make a difference? Well, the players were waiting for me to do that stuff. I, I can, I, I know that for a fact now, because I've had conversations with different guys. Uh, you know, now we're sort of way past it, and we've, but they, they were desperate for me to show it, but I, I just wasn't wasn't doing it. So you, you sort of, and then you think, oh gosh, you know, and it would have been so easy because I, I quite I quite enjoy that, and Bruce. He loves a beer, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it should have happened. But that, that's just an example, and there was yeah, a, I guess a so. heap of that sort of stuff that I didn't do. So there's the signs of green shoots, AB, when you head off to India for the World Cup fine, the World Cup in 1987. How long since you would have looked? Because I was looking back at this yesterday, and the cacophony at Eden Gardens in the final between Australia and England. You can hardly hear the commentary. There's 90,000 people. Do you ever go back and look at anything like this? Like YouTube is a wonderful thing. And I'm, it's not a uh, – like, I'm seriously, do you ever go back and look at some of the games you were involved in? Uh, yeah, I, I have um, recently uh, with Jonesy, with Jonesy's uh, sad passing. Um, yeah, you get a chance to reflect on, you know, that particular period where he was playing and playing well. Uh, he was a key component in that one-day team you know, through that late 80s into the 90s. So yep. you sort of do a bit of reflecting then and you get a chance to think, oh, well, you know, YouTube uh, tied test or YouTube uh, World Cup. <laughs> and you start thinking about um, a lot of stuff you hadn't really had, you know, paid much mind to. Um, so, yeah, I've had a chance of, of late to have a look at all that. And, and that's the turning point for, from Australian cricket's point of view. We The, the low point was Melbourne... 86-87, Ashes test against England. Um, it's at the MCG. We get beaten in three days. Edmonds. That's the direction he's hit it. Straight to uh, Gladstone Small. 
who takes a very comfortable catch. So the Ashes are retained by England. Well, I'm afraid that is the story, a sad one for Australia and a joyous one for England. What a marvellous Christmas present for them. It was a spineless worst performance of all time. And we, we just, you know, I can remember sitting in the change rooms and we are just kicking cans around it and I just, just couldn't believe how badly we could play. Huh. But, of course, you know, the team get together, a few beers, and we're watching the TV and it's a Davis Cup tie. Um, Pat Cash is part playing... Um, Michael Pernfors, is it? Oh, from, yeah, uh, Pernfors right? on so grass. In, in amongst our, you know, like we've described the way we've played, England are cock a hoop because they've won the Ashes. Um, and so we're having a few beers uh, and watching TV. And, of course, we're going for Cashy, England. They're going for Sweden, of course. So there's good <laughs> banter and stuff going on. And, and Cashy wins a thriller, gets, gets up in five sets. Sensational performance from Pat Cash. Two sets to love down. Refused to get right, in as he ladies and gentlemen, has run right throughout this Davis Cup campaign and now is poised appropriately at match point for Australia. Cash moving in and around. As Neil Fraser comes out to congratulate him, what a fantastic effort by this young man. And Bob Hawkes at, um, is it Kuyonga? Kuyong. Yes, Kuyong. And, uh, he's there to present the, the uh, Davis Cup to the Australians. And in his speech, he says, it's a pity there wasn't 11 Pat Cashes at the MCG today. Oh. So, of course, you know, lots of different uh, things were thrown at the TV Jeez. and expletives exchanged. And, but... When we sat down and thought about it, we thought, he's bloody right. We were terrible. We, we deserve all the kick in the backsides we, we get, we're getting, and we were getting quite a few. Because by then, I mean, we were just a, a rabble. Uh, not, not, well, not a rabble. Every Australian side of player with has a crack. But we just, we just weren't getting it, you know. It just wasn't happening. And, of course, I started to think about caps, my caps in my role and all this a, a bit more deeply. But, um, you know, things happened a bit later on. But... Um, Remember that night we were in the room. There was sort of like Jones, Border, Boone, uh, Swampy Marsh might have been there. Uh, uh, manager, can't remember if Simo Simo might have been around at the time at that stage. Bob Simpson, but it was all one of those line of sand moments. You sort of think that's it. We are not going to play like that ever again. We just that's that's it. We've finally bottomed, bottomed out. There's only one way to go, and it was sort of like a. Yeah, a late night um, after a million beers, but you know it was, it was a telling sort of moment, I think. And subsequently, we we did start to turn things around. That's for sure. Uh, we won the next Test match in Sydney, um, and then things started to to happen. You know, as we get into the '87 World Cup uh, campaign. So, yeah, I, I do look back, and we bottomed out, and then it, it all started to happen from there. From once we got into that World Cup pro, we were starting to play some good one-day cricket. Hadn't quite turned around in Test cricket, but there was a few players coming in: Steve War, Jones, Boone, Marsh, uh, Craig McDermott, um, Big Bruce Reed, uh, Simon O'Donnell. Um, yeah, you know, we had we were starting to get a good little nucleus uh, of players together. We won't go because I'll keep you here for three days if we keep going in in this much detail, AB. So let's not go through the World Cup in detail, except to say. 
So Australia play England in the final. So we'll join now. The last ball, the second over. Small to Marsh. The score, nine for no wicket. Lovely shot. Beautiful shot that by Jeff Marsh. Despairing dive by De Freitas. Four more runs to Australia. A really profitable over that. And watching it yesterday, you click back. Everyone's in whites for a yep. start. There's no, there's no coloured clothes. As I said, the noise at Eden Gardens is extraordinary. England are two for 135, chasing 254 to win, of which uh, Border made 31 run out, Boone 75. They're cruising along at two for 135 when Alan Border brings himself into the attack. Very first ball that you bowl AB. What happens? <laughs> Uh, look, poor old Michael Gadding. To this day, I just hammer him. I hammer him on this particular moment, and and he, yeah, it's it's one of his sort of like greatest regrets in in life because yes. he was he was smashing us. He was building us smashing all over. You. Yeah, he was playing so well. Um, and Tim May had been bowling, and, and they, he basically took to Tim May. He's a very good player of spin bowling. Um, so it was one of those. Oh, watershed moments where you just think, oh, bloody hell, what, you know, it's just not, not happening. The game's slipping away. What am I going to do? Might have even been Steve War. said, well, why don't you have a bowl? And I'm sort of thinking, oh, surely there's someone else, you know. And I, I thought, oh, yeah, I, maybe. You know, maybe they'll, they'll be that worried about getting out to me that they might just let me bowl two or three overs, you know, and sneak, sneak in for not too many runs. So that, that's what I'm thinking at, at the stage. But Gat is a serious player of spin bowling and I didn't particularly want to bowl to him it was a pretty good track but anyway I thought yeah so I, I make the decision Alan Broad has decided to try and get himself at least one extra option by coming on to bowl himself and I start sitting a field and I and I'm thinking well I'm gonna I'm gonna try and bowl in as real tight to him even if I was I don't think we had the wide rule and quite as uh, vicious in those days down the leg side so I set a real strong onside field and so he knows that I'm gonna bowl into his pads, and and I know I'm going to bowl as, as tight in as, as possible. <laughs> so we sort of have a bit of a half smile at each other. But um, anyway, so he's looking around the field. Of course, he gets in his head, right? Well, we hadn't seen much of the reverse sweep in those days, but it's unheard of. Yeah, like lo and behold, I bowl now. I know he's going to try and give himself room to hit it to the offside. That's what I'm thinking anyway. So I bowl it seriously. Well, you, see, you can see the replay. It's, it's yeah. this far outside leg stump. It's he's miles in his outside head, leg he's thinking, stump. I'm going to reverse, you know, AB will, you know, he'll know I'm fairly accurate, pitch it up, and he'll just go like this, boom. That's where he's going to score his runs. So it's this far, and he tries it. He, of course, he's got to reach wider and wider. He catches him on the gloves, up on the shot, up in the air. Greg Dye takes a catch. One for none, you bloody beauty. <laughs> Gutting, trying to play the reverse swing shot. That's the first time he's made a mistake on this tour, on his play. So what a brilliant through for Alan Border. Mike Gutting caught by Dyer behind the wickets of Alan Border for 41. And you, you go on and win the World Cup. What a cheer. No effort by Foster. His job's bowling, not batting. Picked up on the deep cover boundary by Valletta. They take two and listen to the acclaim to be cheered by 90,000 spectators. 
at Eden Gardens, Calcutta, and take your first World Cup. That is Australia's joy and England's misery. And there's amazing shots of you running around the ground and McDermott's got the white zinc on. It looks like it was at million degrees, but the noise is what got me AB. Yeah. Was it as noisy as it sounds on that video? Oh, you, you think about MCG, um, yep. you know, AFL grand finals and the noise that people make during those sort of contests, 100,000 people there. I mean, they were going for us. There, yes. there was probably 1,000 people going for England, 99,000 going for us. So it was like a home game, like being at the MCG, doing it just like a pat, that pat. There was probably 120,000 people. I don't know how they, they squeeze them in, but um, just massive noise and just um, it was it was like a home game, you know, throughout throughout the contest. <laughs> but once we'd finally won and the fireworks are going off and we're doing our lap of one, it was just like we hadn't experienced much of that leading up into the World Cup. We'd, we'd sort of um, had a really tough, Two or three years, so it was like, you know, the the, the it felt like I don't know, just a, 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 um, how, how do you term it? Like after three years of you know no results whatsoever, you just all of a sudden you win this game against all the odds. No one gives you much of a chance. It's just incredibly special moment, I've got to say. Um, and and in the dressing rooms afterwards, it's just you know pandemonium. England were good; they come in. Uh, we sort of you know. Plenty of drinking games and carrying on, even though we're in India, with plenty of alcohol around. It was 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 absolutely fantastic to you know the two teams together as well. Um, but just yeah, wonderful, wonderful time, and uh, yeah, just the start of good things. Do you get uh, like that? I can still picture that famous gold cup with the with the band around the middle with the previous winners of their flags. Do you get do you get a personal medal or anything as a player? Do you receive anything? I don't think we did. No, right. No. Cash bonus from the ACB? I tell you what we might have got. I think Jonesy might have been uh, uh, involved in this. We got uh, last year, year before, might have been, was there an anniversary just recently? I, I, yeah, yeah, there I, was. My memory's going. We got given a ring. Huh. So Jonesy was always this, you know, how the USA you've had yes. NFL, you've, you know, Tom Brady's got, I don't know, 25 rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought, he thought that we used to do it, you should do that, you know, for Ashes and for these big uh, tournaments, you should get a, a, a player's oh, ring. So that, but that was presented like two years ago. Um, huh. uh, back at the time, no, we just, you know, it was, I had to sort of like wrench it out, the cup out of the, um, the sponsor's hands. <laughs> The guy from Reliance, you know, he's probably worth about $50 billion. Yeah, hey, Reliance, mate, that's it. That's mine. <laughs> that is the end of Alan Border Part A. The legend continues along in Part B. Listener.